sake alone. Amen. Okay, take your Bible this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This will be the fifth lesson in this series entitled All Spiritual Blessings. This is part five. And I just can't, you, you have to understand now, and I, I know that, that religious people cannot understand this. Only the children of God can understand it. But I, I would encourage you to think back, those of you that have spent uh, several years in your former religion, and all of us have for the most part, if you have, if you, uh, unless you were raised under the true gospel, unless you were one that was born here under Grace Baptist, I can assure you that you spent many, if not multiple years under that which you thought was the gospel, under what you thought was Christianity, and you were quite comfortable in it. And the reason I can say that is because I myself was in the same snare that you found yourself. I was going about to establish a righteousness. I was doing my dead-level best <clears throat> to avoid every known sin. And I was doing my dead-level best to perform whatever I considered righteousness or holiness as defined by the Scripture in hope that when I got to the end of the race, I had done enough to get the prize. And I tell you what, it's an enticing and driving program. Is it not? It's a treadmill that when you get on it, you run and you run and you run and you run and you never get anything except another promise that if you keep running, you might get something. And we were all content in that. And I, I saw a, a dear brother in Christ wrote an article on Facebook this week, and it was a very good article. And he asked, basically asked this question for us to all think about this. How many times... In your former religion, did you ever hear anything about what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1? Seriously. I mean, you think back. Oh, yeah, they talked about grace. I'm not asking if they, they used the term grace. Or if they talked about salvation. Or they talked about accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. They all do that. Every religion. Every denomination. Every facet of every denomination and religion that calls itself Christianity. They all use the same word, but nobody's concerned about the doctrine. It's just not important. You know, they, they all go by that mantra, I'd rather see a sermon and hear one. In other words, show me your faith by your word. And we should. Now, don't you go out, and if you're listening to me, you say, well, that, that sucker don't care how you live. You know better than that. We should be above board in our character and our conduct. We should, be, we should be on the cutting edge of forgiveness and kindness and love and compassion to not only our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, but to even to our enemies. We should follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you for righteousness' sake. But listen, all of that, combined that we were taught to do by way of religion didn't make up any part of our salvation. We're saved by grace. Here we go. Blessed be the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. You hear that? Who hath blessed us. Because I believe, no, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Nothing about us. No conditions placed on us. It's grace in its entirety from start to finish. And that's what we've been talking about. You know, we had started last Sunday. We've been looking, we began by looking at the work of God the Father. That's where those wonderful verses in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 5 that I just quoted to you come from. And they have to do with God the Father. Everything in this world, everything that has to do with salvation, God defied the purpose. That's his work. And we had began talking last Sunday about the work, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of God the Son in this matter of salvation. And here's the thing we have to know and understand. Just like God the Father is absolutely sovereign in his work of choosing sinners to salvation with absolutely nothing from or known about the sinner. That's, that's, that's where they used to get us in religion. They'd say, well, God knows everything. you got friends and family that say that. You, say that you talk, try to talk to them about the gospel, and they say, well, God knows what you're going to do. Well, no, that's, that's not what the scriptures say. Because you think about that thought, God knows what you're going to do. Well, that, what does that make God? A reactionary God. It's not a God that purposes and plans and accomplishes. If he's having to learn something in order to do something, he's not God. Can you see that? God's not looking. See, here's the thing, and I always try to, I try to think these things through before I say them, and try to, try to, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I. I'm not unintelligent. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I mean, <laughs> but I try, to, I try to think of it in terms that, that a, a human mind can comprehend it and that I myself can comprehend and think about the implications of something. Because I've always had people, when it talk, we talk about this thing of election, God's election, God choosing somebody, they say that's not fair for God to choose one and not choose other. And you tell them, well, tell me your definition of what election is. They said, well, God looks down through time and he sees who will believe and who will not believe. And based on what he sees and who will believe, that's who he chose. Okay? That sounds logical to the, to the natural mind. Again, the natural mind, natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them for they're spiritually discerned. Now let's think about their logic. Let's think about their reasoning, and let's carry it out to its nth degree, okay? When, you're, when your family members or friend makes that kind of statement to them, ask them this question to begin with. Does God change? Can we agree on that? That God, you know, according to Malachi, what does the Lord say through the mouth of Malachi? I am the Lord God. I change Therefore, since I don't change, therefore you sons of Jacob are not concerned. So ask them, does God ever change? 
No. They can agree with you there. If, I mean, let, let's just let's, let's assume they agree with us. Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. God doesn't change, okay? Now, you just said that God looks down through time and he sees somebody believing. And then based on him seeing somebody believing, that's who he chooses. And I tell you that God chose people before any good or any evil was done. That's what the scriptures teach that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that call it. You say that's not unfair. You, you say that's unfair because it doesn't give a man a choice in this matter. Will you agree with that? Yes, that's exactly what I believe about what you just said about God's sovereignty and election. Okay, now, you remember you said God does not change. Okay, here's you and me. God looks down through time and he sees you believe and he sees me not believe. And then based on that knowledge that he gained, he says, okay, you're the elect and Richard, because he doesn't believe, is a non-elect. Will you agree with that? That's logical, isn't it? Think about it. Now, remember you said God does not change? If he looked down through time and he saw you believing and he said, you're my elect, and he looked down through time and he saw me not believing and said, he's a reprobate because he will not believe. Is there any possibility, any chance that I can ever believe or that you cannot believe? Think about that. Is there any possibility? That God doesn't change. Because if I, if I change my mind, what does God have? His knowledge was in error. But that's not what the Scriptures teach about this thing of election. It didn't, it didn't, see, that's what they've made the mistake. They go by English words. Foreknowledge does not mean the gaining of knowledge. Him knowing something before it. Literally, you look it up, the word foreknowledge means foreordination. It means to foreordain, to foreplan, to predestinate. has nothing to do with what he sees. It has everything to do with his will. And just like the Father was absolutely sovereign in his choice of individuals before they had done any good or any evil, he just chose to save somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he's absolutely sovereign in his work as well. Listen to you. This is after our Lord had healed that man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember our Lord told him, after he had healed him, he told him, he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy picked up his bed and, it, and bed and it said it was on, we were studying it this last Wednesday night in the, midway, in the Wednesday night Zoom Bible study, it says, and it records it plainly, it was the Sabbath day. Ooh-ooh, we got a problem. And these Jews, they see this guy walking with his bed. Now, you think about how technical this is. He's just, he's been, he's been laying there for 37 years on that mat. Out there by that pool, waiting for the water to move and hope that he can be the first one into the pool. Ain't ever got 37 years, it ain't worked. Now our Lord comes to this multitude of people, walks to this one man, 
and tells this young, this one man, rise, take up your bed and walk. Asked him, first of all, will you be healed? And God said, I got nobody to put me in the water. And Christ didn't debate with him about that. What did he tell him? He told him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately it says he rose, took up his bed, walked. And the Jews, when they saw it, they said, this is a Sabbath day. What are you doing carrying your mat? That's work. Don't you think them Jews knew that dude had been there 37 years? If you had seen somebody that was crippled to the point they couldn't help themselves at all, if all of a sudden they woke up, stood up, and started walking and carrying their bed, do you think that would be a, a big violation of some legal sense of the Sabbath day? My stars... I mean, you think about it, there's acts of mercy provided for under the law. Particularly according to the Sabbath day. It says if a man's ox falls into the mud, what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Let it lie there and die. No, what do you do? You get it, and here's a man who's been crippled his whole life, and he's healed. And their big issue is this dude's been healed on the Sabbath day. And that man looked at him, he said, the one that healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. And I tell you what, he, like Bill pointed out quite clearly, if one had the authority to healing, restoring, that same one had the authority to tell him to walk and carry his bed and go on. But now afterward, now look at this. This, this. this is John chapter 5, verse 40. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple. Our Lord goes to where he's at. Now he, he's not out looking around for Jesus. You see that? Where has he gone back to? Something that had never done him any good. Went back to the temple. And our Lord found him there and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus. And they, he's been in the temple. Our Lord tells him, you've been made whole. Don't go sin anymore, lest a worse thing come upon you. And he goes to the Jews and he tells them it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore the Jews persecute Jesus, did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But listen to this. Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. You see that? Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath day, which our Lord had not broken the Sabbath day. You realize that? They had, they had, he had broken their idea, their concept of the Sabbath day. But I can, care, I, can, I can promise you my Lord Jesus Christ never broke the Sabbath day. Huh? Remember what he said in a sermon on that? Don't think I've came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to... Fulfill it, for not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Our Lord performed an act of mercy on the Sabbath day. But not only had he broken the Sabbath day, but listen to this. But he had said also God was his father. 
making himself equal with God. See, the work of the Father was a divine choice of sinners in, in Christ there, he did. The work of the Son, what's his work? Like the Father's work, he came to redeem and justify and save that which was lost. He came to lay down his life for the sheep, his bride, those chosen and given to him by the Father in everlasting covenant of grace. Now look at verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and all prudence. Remember what our Lord Jesus Christ told his apostles there in John chapter 15, 14, 15, 16. He told them, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, who can't come? The comforter can't come. And he says, but if I go away, he said, I'll send another comforter who has been with you. Now think about this. He said, I'm going to send you another comforter who has been with you. Who's been with them? Who's been with these 12 men, these 11 apostles? Christ our peace, the comforter. He said, he's been with you, but listen, he said, but he shall dwell in you. Right? Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, you know, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that are under the law. They might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son. What, what spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, but what's it the spirit of? It's the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. So it ain't me that cries, Abba, Father. Who is it? It's Christ's Spirit in us. See, we've got this thing down to an audible thing here. It's a work of grace in the hearts, what it is, that results in our outward confession of what we've been given in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this opening phrase, wherein he hath abounded, I underlined and highlighted, he hath abounded. Who? Christ hath. How? By his spirit. He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Listen to Apostle Paul. It's over in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. He says, wherein, where sin abounded. That's the same word that's used in our text, translated, he hath abounded. Where sin abounded. Grace. You might as well substitute Christ for grace because they're one and the same. Christ did much more bound. Same word, did much more bound. And in each instance, the word means this, an abundant supply. It means to abound. Or I like this one. It means to overflow. <laughs> you ever had anything overflow on you? Uh-huh. See, think about this. The abundant supply of grace, this is overabounding, overflowing, abundant supply of grace. It's the fruit and it's the effect of the truth Paul set forth in verse in the in the previous verse. In verse uh 
7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. What's wisdom? Because he says that he's, he's overflowed toward us in all wisdom and all prudence. I always think about, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I might be wrong there. It just popped into my head. Uh, maybe it's 1 Corinthians 1. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 1. But of him, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. What's he made unto us first? Huh. What's the first thing Christ is to the child of God? Wisdom. Wisdom. Let me read you a couple of verses. I'm going to read them again in the Sunday worship hour this morning. Oh, wise Solomon. He made this statement concerning wisdom. Actually made it twice. First of all, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. What's the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord. He says this in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord, and listen to this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. <laughs> How, you, don't, you don't have to know anything. I, well, hold on, what did Paul say? I know whom I believe. Who did he know? He knew Christ, our wisdom. The beginning of the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is what? That there's forgiveness with thee. There's forgiveness. Remember what Paul David, David said? He said, Lord, if you should have marked my iniquities, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. That thou mayest be. I tell you, none fear the Lord like those that are forgiven. If you, don't, if you have not been forgiven, you don't fear God. No, you just don't. It's not a sense of forgiveness or a hope of forgiveness or a possibility of forgiveness. We've been forgiven. Do you realize that? You think about every sin of every elect sinner from Adam in the garden to the end of time, forgiven. Put away. And prudence, what's prudence? Prudence is just the practical application of this wisdom. Believe in taking God at His word. Believe in that He justifies the ungodly. And see, here's the thing. We see the infinite wisdom and prudence of our God in the riches of His grace, which appears, think about it, it comes like a great tidal wave of mercy that covers us with what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything, everything I could ever possibly want or need, where is it at? 
And my wife, no. My children, no. My grandchild, no. And what I've accomplished, no. In anything of time and sense, absolutely not. <laughs> think about think about what he's what he what he is writing to these Ephesian believers is as applicable to me in 2023 as it was to them when he wrote it down. What's God blessed us with? Do you see anything about physical blessings there? But yet this world, what do they put all the emphasis on? It's spiritual blessings. Because listen, I've, I've said this till I am blue in the face saying that if, if we, we don't look on the, the things that are seen, what are they? They're temporal. Everything, everything you're looking at with these physical eyes right now, it's going to be gone. All of it. Might not happen today, might not happen tomorrow, might not happen for 100 years. One day it's going away, all of it. But the things that are not seen, that's eternal. The only thing that's eternal is what? God. And those that are here is by free grace. See, this grace of wisdom, redemption is so ordered in wisdom and prudence that we see God glorified not in the salvation of those who are worthy of it, not in the salvation of those who merit it, and not in the salvation of those who've earned it. But we see God glorified in the salvation of who? The ungodly. That kills people. People, but by nature, we are so pious, are we not? We always think of ourselves, every one of us, still today, we think of ourselves, if we're honest, we think of ourselves more highly than we should. All of us. Even as justified saints. That's why we get upset with people. Because you hadn't fulfilled any. I got anything with God's standards, my standard. You ain't done what I've done. We, we see his wisdom and his prudence bound toward us in, the, in him appointing his son. That, that we, we see that. We see the wisdom and prudence of God in appointing His Son to represent us and to fulfill every condition of our salvation by His obedience unto death. I didn't see that before. I thought there was something else for me to do. Another prayer to be prayed, another gift to be given, another sermon to be preached, more morality to be accomplished, more change in my character and my conduct. It was, it, everything in religion is about man. And it's coming to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and what will I do? I'll give you rest. He didn't say he put us on a straight and narrow. He gives us rest. Look at verse 9. Having made known, you see that? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Somebody, according to this verse, what do they know? Huh? This ain't Richard Warmack talking. This is, this is the Lord. This is Jehovah moving his servant Paul to write it down. And he says that these that he's abounded to toward in all wisdom and prudence, what's he done to them? He's made known unto them the mystery 
of his will. And did it how? According to his good pleasure. You see that? And it just, that irritates men, lost men and women to death. God don't care what you think. And we don't either. Which he had, because here's, he purposed it in himself. You think about this phrase, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Here's Young's little translation of this same part of this verse. Having made known to us the secret of his will. Jeremiah declared this. <clears throat> know the, he said, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why not? For they shall all know me. Why? He's made known unto them the mystery of his will. They shall all know me. From the least of them, from the newborn babe in Christ, to the greatest of them, who? The Apostle Paul, Peter, James, and John. Saith the Lord, why will they know? here's, Here's how I know I know him. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. Who? Those who know him. Those he's revealed himself to. Our Lord Jesus Christ referenced Isaiah's prophecy of this knowledge. He says it's written in the prophets. This is John chapter 6 verse 45. It's written in the prophets. And that's from Isaiah 54 is where this is written at. It's written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father. What do we learn of the Father? That he will by no means clear the guilty. What do we learn of the Father? That he will not overlook any sin in your life. Not any. Well, what can I do? Come to me. You see that? We learn that Father is so strict, His justice is so infinite, that He will by no means clear the guilty. We are forced to look away from our sin. We are forced to abide by the Word of God. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And if the forgiveness of sins is preached, what does that imply? That we're sinners that need forgiveness. And by Him, by His authority, by His power, all those who believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. But look at the next part of this verse. According to the good pleasure of His own will, which He hath purposed in Himself. You know what this means? This means that Almighty God determined that every one of His legs What are they all going to do? They're going to see his glory. And every one of them are going to see his glory in the same exact place. I always think about old Moses when he stood before our Lord and he said, Lord, if I found grace in your eyes, show me your glory. And our Lord looked at him and he said, I'll do this thing. You have found grace in my eyes. I'll do this thing that you've requested. I'll declare and proclaim my name to you. Think about that. God declared, you know what? God's declaring his name to us. See, we get, we get hung up in that, 
you know what? It's kind of like them Jews. When they stand there when our Lord was on the cross, they said, if you come down off that tree, we'll believe you. He came down off the tree. How'd that work out for them? They still didn't believe him. And everybody gets so caught up with what, what our part of it is. But it's his mercy and his grace that in his kindness toward us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Here we have the end that God determined, and he determined it where? From the beginning. In this verse 10, we have the blessed eternal state where all the elect of God will forever enjoy the possession, the actual possession, of the whole inheritance of grace. Listen to you. Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, blessed, it sounds a whole lot like Paul. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And notice verse 4, to an inheritance. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful. Uh, that, and I, I, you know, that, I mean, I, I, I didn't live my life looking toward it. I know there's some people that look for an inheritance, but I, you know, me and my daddy talked long and hard about what he and mama had saved up through their lifetime. And I told him, I said, because he kept asking me, what I need to do, what I need to do, I don't know how to divide it up. I don't know how to give it to you or Danny. Or I told him, I said, Daddy, daddy it's yours. It's yours. And I looked at my daddy, was in the, in the hospital bed, and I told him, I said, Daddy, if you want to give every single solitary thing that is yours to my brother, he is to give, isn't it? And I said, I won't be upset. I said, I might be hurt, but I said, it's yours. It's your inheritance to give. And I, I said, but the thing is, if that's what you want to do, write it down. Write a will and testament. And he never did. He never did. But I was serious. And later on, when me and my brother began to divide things up, my, we got to that point we had divided up, and I told my brother, I said, I told him the same thing I told Daddy. I said, Daddy, I, you know, me and Daddy had talked about dividing it up. And he said, you'd do that? I said, I told you that back when we first started talking. You know, but the thing is, if the, the Father has a will... Right? The heavenly Father. And His will involves what? An inheritance. And the inheritance goes to those whom the testator died for. Right? Whom the Lord Jesus Christ died for. And He says that we've, we're elect according to God the Father, according to verse 2, to an inheritance. What kind of in incorruptible? Undefiled. It fadeth not away. Reserved down at Chase Bank <laughs> or in a safe deposit box somewhere, in a safe, you know, reserved in heaven for you. 
And here's the thing. Not only has he given, got an inheritance for us, he keeps us. Look at verse 5. Who are kept. We don't keep ourselves. Who are kept, how? By the power of God. Through faith to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now look at verse 11. Turn back over to our text. Because he, Paul, basically states the same thing that Peter states. And whom we have, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance. He didn't say, I'm, you know, people talk, I hear people talk like, well, I, I hope to get to heaven. I hope to walk on the streets of gold. I hope to have a mansion over the hilltop. Paul's standing on the earth over in Israel. <laughs> and he tells these Ephesians, these Gentile believers, we have obtained. Not one waiting for us to be, not waiting to be given to us. Now, there, there are some benefits of going to glory. I know Paul, you know, he got caught up in the third heaven and saw things so much so that he would, was, ex, so that he wouldn't be exalted above measure. What did God do? God gave him the thorn in the flesh to humble him. He, he saw what the inheritance is like out there. That's why he could confidently say, it'd be better. I'm, I'm, I'm between, I'm in a straight. To be with our Lord, to be with you, or to be with our Lord, which is far better. <laughs> we don't think like that far too many times, do we? We hold on to this thing like this is all we got. Faith tells us it's far better, I tell you. Better to be with the Lord. And if you'll notice this, it says, in whom? in whom we have obtained an inheritance. How do we get this inheritance? Christ our surety. Christ our mediator. How did we get it? His righteousness imputed to you and me and entitles us to this whole inheritance. Every bit of it. And this inheritance, as well as our entitlement to it, it's all according to God's purpose. See, notice in whom we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated. That's foreordained according to the purpose of him that works all things after the counsel of his own will. He's the only true and living God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. God's counsel, you know what it is? It's his purpose. It's his purpose. And here's the thing that gives me great confidence in his purpose of our God. It's directed by infinite wisdom, but it's accompanied with infinite power. It's one thing to purpose something, but infinite power enables him to do what? Work everything he purposed. You don't memorize any other scripture in the, in the word of God. You ought to memorize the words of that heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the inhabitants, God had humbled that man. He had said, I, you know, I'm the greatest king. I'll exalt my throne. Sounded like Satan himself, and God brought him down. And when he came to his senses, when God brought him down, he said this, all the inhabitants of the earth, how many of them? 
Oh, and I tell you what, at the time Nebuchadnezzar spoke those words, Babylon was the greatest kingdom in existence. And he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted or refuted as nothing. And he doeth according to his will among the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and none can say unto him, what doest thou? That's the God of the scriptures. It's not that puny pygmy God that everybody's got in their pocket takes him out like a token that does things the way they want them doing. But whatever comes into our lives, how does it come? It's not an accident. I can't explain it. I just know this. It's a purpose of our God. All of it. Nothing's left to chance, and nothing, none of it's conditioned on what the sinner does or doesn't do. God's covenant promise, you know what King David on his death prayed, he said, I have an everlasting covenant ordered in all things, and sure, this is all my joy, this is all my hope, this is all my salvation. What? That everlasting covenant. Ordered in all things, and sure. In verse 12, we'll quit with this. That we, here's what it's all for. This is why Christ came. This is why Christ lived. This is why Christ died. This is why Christ rose again. This is why our Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession. That we should be to the praise of His glory. Who first trusted in Christ. Here we have God's goal in redemption. What is it? That you and I get to go to heaven. Mm -mm. We do get to go to heaven. Not to, that's not the goal. What was the goal? Why is this thing here? So these fools can argue about climate change. Uh, or to argue and debate about who's right and who's left. Uh, not, not, what, what, what's it all here for? That God be glorified in the salvation of sinners. All of it. Here's the thing. If that's the case, if everything's here for God's glory, work all things to glorify and honor Him as both a just God and a Savior. The fact that God has chosen a people, the fact that Christ the Son redeemed a particular people, does that fact mean that sinners aren't still responsible to believe? Hear and follow? No, we still have to believe, do we not? We still have to follow. We still have to love God. We still have to love our neighbors, ourselves. We still have to repent. But listen, none of that or all of that combined brings us to glory. None of it. So you think about this. All those things that I just mentioned that we should do, what are those? Those are means. Every one of those things are means that God, His purpose to bring His people and accomplish true saving faith and accomplish this goal, this purpose he set up. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God's not just going to zap somebody walking down the road back here and bring them to true faith and true repentance. You're not going to be sitting out on a deer stand somewhere in a boat watching the sun rise up and come to know God. What you got to do? Somebody got to tell you about him. Why? Because that's what he's ordained. 
Why do we pray for our families and our friends? Because God has ordained that we should pray what? But how do we pray? Not my will. Not Don't save them because they're mine. Not my will, but thy will be done. And see, that's the thing. All those who our Lord Jesus Christ did this far, he, he def- defines for us who they are. They trust in him. Who first trusted in Christ. Well, they believed that God would do exactly what he said he'd do. And we'll stop right there and we'll come back, pick up next Sunday in verse 13. You're dismissed to the worship. Thank you.